Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday morning, I guess still. And uh, I'm trying to do half tour now. I uh, just finished my lecture schedule for Mitzvah Shabbos. Now, a few minutes, so let me do it. Today's half uh, Torah podcast is being sponsored by Efron, by Menashe Efron. Because uh, today, ha- oh, today is exactly the mother's yard site, his mom's yard site. That'd be seventh Shabbat Wednesday. Brana Basalter Yerachmiel, Nisham Shemaliyah, as they say. And in addition, uh, by the Eisenbergs, who uh, was a pleasant surprise to see that they're listening. And uh, as always, we appreciate uh, our sponsors, uh, which is uh, obvious. Now, uh, today's October course is Parshat Bo. It's kind of a repeat of last week. What I mean is, whoever arranged the Haftorahs way back when, they just picked out things that are no good to the Parshas, sort of. And since Parshas Vaera is about the Ten Plagues, and Parsha's bow is about the Ten Plagues, as well as the Exodus from Egypt. So you you look around where there are in the prophets, because remember, the Haftorah always comes from the Vim, not from Kesubib. You always look around the prophets, where do they have anything about the doom of Egypt? And it so happens that what I talked about last time, the prophet Yechesko is not the only Navi running around at that time, there's also Jeremiah, Yermio. And both of them uh, have what to say about uh, what they see as the coming destruction of Egypt, specifically in their time or near their time. And that is they were predicting prophetically that Nebuchadnezzar would invade Egypt and devastate it, smash the Egyptian army and bust the country. And uh, they go to a fair amount of detail on this. Now, I told you last week, the archaeologists go crazy with this because there's no record that we know so far that Nebuchadnezzar ever invaded Egypt, although... It could be, meaning I spoke about it last time. There a little bit of uh, Josephus refers to it uh, from an earlier source, but you know, they're far to have anything physical about it. But on the other hand, uh, you know, that doesn't prove it didn't happen. And I'm, I'm being very serious over here, and it's described in a great deal of detail. So it sounds like it happened, and we don't have everything on Nebuchadnezzar by a long shot. So I want to be very clear about this: if the second temple, I'm sorry, the first temple was destroyed going push up shop in 586 BCE, so the, the invasion of Egypt that they're talking about would be approximately 566 BCE, something like that, because, you know, when you go BCE, you go backwards, like negative numbers, right? So 566 would be something like, I don't know, uh, 20 years after the Corbin, you know, something along those lines. So it didn't happen right away, but it did happen. Now, in the book of Yechezkel, it's like a standalone piece. But in Yermio, which is today's Parsha, meaning the Haftorah today's from Yermio, the story about Egypt has a much wider context. You have to know a little bit of the history over here with the Tom Gedalia. And basically, the point is as follows. What is the role of Egypt here? And I, as they say, I discussed it at some length last time. So if you want to understand, you have to listen to the two podcasts side by side, I suppose. Not that I remember exactly what I said last time. I never have time to remember what I said because I always got to think of the next one. 
That's why people call and ask me, what did you say long ago? I don't remember anymore. But uh, whatever the case is, in the case of your meal, we have the following. Yechezkel did not live in Israel. He's from the first exiles, Egoz Yehoyachin, which I talked about last time. By contrast, Yermiel was there all the way through to the bitter end and past the bitter end, meaning Yermiel was a prophet way before Nebuchadnezzar showed up, you know, when the time of, uh, I don't know, Yo-Yakim and Yo-Yakin and Tzikiel, and even before that, he was there around the time of Yoshiaho. So he was there for a while. And like Cassandra, he's doomed, as God tells him in the beginning, to be the prophet of gloom and doom, right? Beterim Tzarcha Bebeten, or Datiche, whatever the words are, before, when you were in your mother's womb, I, I already identified you. You'll be a Navi for the nations. And the Laharos and Totes, in other words, you'll be a Navi who will predict destruction. So that's the unhappy life of Yermio. Being a Navi is not necessarily a happy business. Now, but it doesn't matter. If God commissions you, you got to do it. That's the story of Yermio. Now, specifically, listen closely. What happened was that there was the kingdom of Judah, there was the Babylonian Empire, and the kingdom of Egypt, A, B, and C. Now, the A and C, the Babylonian Empire on the one hand, and the kingdom of Egypt on the other hand, they were the two major powers who were constantly maneuvering against each other and once in a while clashed. Already in the time of Yoshio, there was a famous battle recorded in history and recorded in the Bible called the Battle of Carchemish, all the way up in, I guess you'd say today, northern Syria, the Iraq area, on the Tigris River, I guess, or the Euphrates. And uh, Babylonian army destroyed the Egyptian army. It was a major Babylonian victory. It put um, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian commander, on the map. As a result of that, Egypt became weaker, but they, weren't, they were not knocked out of the game. And so, after that, the Egyptians, as I tried to describe last week, cleverly used diplomacy to get those dozen little kingdoms in the middle, including Judah and Eben, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and so on and so forth, around to try to form some kind of buffer confederacy against Babel. It wasn't necessarily in the interest of those kingdoms to do so, but the Egyptians seduced them. Um, I know how. There are a lot of ways of doing that. There's extremely cynical Machiavellian kind of policy, which makes total sense from the point of view of Egypt. The question the prophet Jeremiah always raises in his fascinating book is, is it in the interest of the Jews? You see? I understand why the Egyptians are trying to get a screw, but why should we go along? That's very often a theme in Nebuchadnezzar. So on the one hand, as a Navi living in, in Judah, he hates Egypt because he sees them constantly playing the Jews. It's a little bit like if I got frustrated in Peanuts and saw you know the girl always pulling the, the, the football away. How many times do you fall for it? How many times? Can't you see what's happening? This is a good portion of the book of Yemiahum. Now, um, in spite of what I just said, in spite of the counsel of Jeremiah, the kingdom of Judah allowed itself to be seduced by the Egyptians and got screwed because the Babylonians eventually came twice. And first time they carried off a good part of the kingdom of Judah's elites. And ten years later, they mamish carried off all the Jews, destroyed the base of Megiddo. That's what we call Tishabov. That's what we call Tishabov. Now listen here. Um, the uh, how should I put this? When 
during the siege of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, at one point, the Egyptians fainted, as they call it, F-E-I-N-T-E-D. They marched against Nebuchadnezzar. It's not clear if they had a battle or not. It seems that he, like, scared them off. And so the Jews temporarily had a uh, feeling that they're being relieved in the siege, but it didn't happen in the end. In the end, Egypt proved to be the weak reed, as he's always described in uh, Jeremiah and elsewhere. And Yechezkel. Now, so notice the Egyptians did not come when they need, they, what, 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 to help the Jews during the siege, which plays a role in our Haftorah today. I'll show you in a minute. Now, what happened, of course, was that the city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. They destroyed it, including the base of Megdush. And they carried off everybody in captivity to Babylonia. No, that's not true. It says he left the lower classes, the Carmen Vyogman, like we say today, the um, uh, peasants. Because Nebuchadnezzar said, these guys, the lower classes, had no role in planning a revolt against me, obviously. This, the decision-making was in the hands of the elites, the nobles and the king and all that. Them I will punish or do whatever I want to. And indeed, he tortured and punished the king, the princes, the high priests, and the nobles. That he did. However, as we all know, he left behind Gedalia, Benachikam, who was a, 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 not from the royal family, he was a nobleman of Judah, and was a from guy. And he said, you be the king of the Jews, Won't call, let's not call it a king, the ruler of the Jews, who are left, the lowest class. The Carmen the Yugman. And uh, Yermiel was there. Jeremiah survived the siege. He was treated with kid gloves by the Babylonians because they considered him a real Novi. And they uh, and they respected him. And they knew he had opposed the rebellion against Babylonia. So in other words, within the context of Judean politics, the prophet Jeremiah was known as what we would call today a proponent of the pro-Babylonia party. Right? His advice was not listened to, and that's why the country got destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar, through his spies, knew that uh, Yermio had always been pro-Babylonian, if you follow what I mean. Not that Yermio loved Babylonia, but he always is saying, Komar Hashem. Judah is supposed to be a small country, like I told you before. There will be a great power in, in, in now. It's Babel. So don't mess with them. You know, Pay them whatever tribute you want, and you know, be left alone, and be happy that we have Eretz Yisrael, the part that we have, we have Yerushalayim, we have Beis HaMikdash. Let's devote ourselves to Yiddishkeit, to Torah, Vavoda, Gemil, Chasam, and we don't need big empires. This is the basic message of Jeremiah. And if you follow Chazal, depends which ones you want to follow, Yirmiyoh, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar actually offered a great deal, to a, a good deal, to um, Tzidkiel, the list, king of Judah. He said, you know, you keep your nose clean and don't rebel against me. You will not simply be one of these little kings that paid me tribute all the time. I'll give you like certain special privileges. So um, Nebuchadnezzar does not come across as such a monster when you read the Old Testament and when you read uh, certain Chazals. Other ones he comes across as a monster. Okay, That's interesting. If I was giving a graduate class, I don't know where, I don't know you. She was like, let's say a seminary, I would say, you know, write a paper on the image of Nebuchadnezzar in uh, Tanakh and Chazal. It'd be a very interesting paper, right? You have to do a little bit of homework. It'd be a very interesting paper. Because Nebuchadnezzar appears in Yermio, in Yecheskel, in uh, Daniel, and maybe another place or two. All right? 
So it's, it's actually very interesting. Now, um, as I said, when Basimish was destroyed, which was a disaster, so the survivors um, were under Yermio and uh, Gedalia. And Yermio said, Komar Hashem, take this deal. Hashem approves of this. I'm a Navi, I'm telling you. And this is a good idea. Okay? This is a good idea. And so the people came. There were some middle class and maybe a few nobles who had hidden in the mountains during the war. And they came out of hiding and joined these uh, peasants and so forth. And this is who the Jewish polity was. And the basic idea was like this. If you take this deal and don't screw up, then little by little, we'll rebuild everything. You understand? Just keep your nose clean and give me a chance to talk to Nebuchadnezzar and I'll get a, hopefully I'll get permission eventually to resettle Jerusalem, rebuild the city, and maybe even the base of Middle There's a good shot at it. As we know, however, this did not happen. Instead, some of the disgruntled nobles, who were unbelievable losers in Rishayim, as described in all the prophetic books, the nobles of Judah always come across, Yeshai, Yermi, Yecheskel, Treoser, as real Mamzerim, terrible, right? Bad news. No, the rich and powerful. And uh, yeah, repeatedly in Haftar, you see references to this. So one of them, Yishmael ben Nisan, he came and killed um, Gedaliah. And uh, not only he's a murderer, and he killed the Goyim too, Nebuchadnezzar's guards. At that point, the people freaked. And they said, what do we do now? When Nebuchadnezzar gave us a chance, and now some of us killed Nebuchadnezzar's guards and his appointed governor, now he's going to capture us and burn us alive, roast us and toast us and torture us and so forth. They went into a deep and dark panic. The prophet Yermio, and this week's Parsha is Yermio, tells them in the book of Jeremiah, uh, don't do this, don't leave. I will explain to Nebuchadnezzar that it wasn't us that did it. It was one disgruntled jerk. Yishmob and Nisanya, who was who was a jerk. And uh, he will be blamed for it and not us. But they were so scared, they thought he's going to be like Saddam Hussein or something, that they did not listen to Yermiyahu. And they basically said, we're going out of here, we're going to Egypt. That's the only place we can run to, because it'll be outside the Babylonian Empire. Now, everything I'm telling you are in the 40s of the book of Yermiyahu. Our Haftar today is chapter 46. That's the reason I'm going through all this. Because... It's a great deal in the 40s, 40, 40, 41, 42, 43, and so on and so forth, in which all the story I'm mentioning to you is laid out in detail in um, the book of Yermiyahu. Okay? Now, what happens is, therefore, that even though they're told that they can stay and they shouldn't leave Israel, uh, but they're afraid of the sword, the cherev of Nebuchadnezzar, and they run away to Egypt. Okay? Now, uh, God is very angry at this. Yermio is extremely disappointed. And he begins to tell them a number of prophecies in which he basically says, don't think that you're running away to safety because you're not. I'll use a modern 20th century example. Oh, we're going to escape Hitler and run away to another place which is nice and safe, far away from Hitler. It's called Hiroshima. <laughs> there we'll be safe. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're going from the frying pan into the fire. So... If you run to Egypt, in other words, if you told me you're running to Greece, no. You're running to Egypt, within a number of years, Egypt will also come under attack from Nebuchadnezzar, and it'll be devastation. You understand? Devastation. And if you look in 42, 43, 44, and so on and so forth, 
It's Mamash in there, right? In uh, in 43, he said, I'll set the temple of the gods of Egypt on fire, I'll burn him and carry him off, I'll wrap himself in the booty of Egypt, it'll be shattered the obelisks of Heliopolis, you know, it'll be destruction. And in 44, he says, these are the words which Yermiel says to the Jews, I repeat, the Jews living in Egypt, the Migdal, Tachmanches, Nof, and the land of Pasros. So the Jews went back to the land of Goshen. Isn't that funny? And God said, you've seen the disaster I brought into Jerusalem and elsewhere, and that's what it's going to happen to you guys. All right? That's going to happen to you guys. Now, therefore, so what I'm saying to you is, Yermiel appears to have gone down to Egypt with them and spends the rest of his life unsuccessfully trying to persuade the Jews who ran away from Israel, from Judah, to return. And you and I knew it's not that far away, but they're not going to come back because Yehuda is under control of Nebuchadnezzar and they see that as a uh, guy who wants to get them. Okay? Now, the message of Yermio is always the following. These were all the prophets. Don't think politics, think religion. What's happening because God's running the show and God is angry at you because you're worshiping idols. Okay? That's the way to interpret this. Don't say, you know, we made some mistakes doing this particular political policy or following this advice. It's got nothing to do with how you maneuver. It's not a question whether you join the Allies or the Axis or this group or that group, NATO, Warsaw Pact. Nothing to do with that. If you're acting from, if you keep in the mitzvahs and you're avoiding the idols, God will arrange international politics that will work out for you. If not, not. Okay? And therefore... Um, two chapters before our Haftorah, God gave him a whole speech. Yermiel delivers a speech in the hand of God. You better go back or you'll be wiped out over here. You'll fall by the sword and so forth. Now listen to this. And I'll read it to you in English because it's easy for you to understand. This in 44. The Jews don't listen and they challenge the analysis offered by Yermiel, actually by Hashem. It says, the men knew that their wives were offering incense to other gods. And all the women stood around, meaning, it's interesting that, you know, the wife was the unfrom one, okay? And all the people living in Pastors answered Yermio, and they said, we will not listen to what you told us in God's name, because we think you're full of it. Everything we will do, and we will continue to worship to the Malchus Shemaim, to the Queen of Heaven, and pour libations there, just as our ancestors did. And you know something? Our Avos and Avos Avos, always worshipped the queen of heaven, in other words, the, the such and such an idol. And we always had enough to eat and we lived well and nothing bad ever happened to us. Ever since we stopped sacrificing and pouring to her, we've been in great need and we've been consumed by the sword and famine. When we sacrificed to the queen of heaven, we made cakes, bearing her image, and poured out libations. It was with our husband's approval and we had peace and prosperity. So in other words, they totally misread the tea leaves. They said... Instead of saying like this, you know, what got us to the Chorban? Because generation after generation, we build up more and more Averas until Hashem couldn't take it anymore. That's what it says in the book of Malachim, which is written by Yemio. That's what it says in another place. Notice, you can only push so far. He did so and so many Averas until it, it broke the camel's back and Hashem brought the Chorban. But somebody living then could say like this, that's your analysis. The way I see it, as long as our, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, my Bubby and my Zadie all worship idols, and they lived well. So it sounds like those idols worked, you see? And so this is driving Yermio crazy. And in the in the paragraph uh, preceding our Haftorah, he tries to explain that to them, okay? But they won't listen. 
You see? They won't listen. And so the result is that we come to our Haftorah, which follows almost right behind it. It's Perik, uh, uh, what do you call it, 46 Memvav. The only thing is, it starts at Pasuk 13, because when they edited the book of Yermio, somebody did, right? Somebody did strung these together. So the first 12 Psukim have to do with this battle of Karkamish that I said before, when the early in the reign, at the time of um, Yoshio, the Babylonian army inflicted a heavy defeat on the Egyptian army. But that's not Nogea. And from 13, Arhav Torah is Yermio speaking to the Jews living in Egypt, saying, you guys have gone to Hiroshima. You know, you're going to be, um, you, you thought you went to a safe place, you're going to the opposite. And that's why the Haftor starts with Hadav Rashad Dibra Shamal Yermio and Navi, Lavo Nebuchadnezzar Melch Babla Hakazirts Bab Eretz Mitzrayim. Which means that he spoke to them predicting Lavo, meaning not Lavo, Lavo, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar will in the future come, the Hakazirts Eretz Mitzrayim, and you're going to be there, and you'll be in the middle, like I say, of a war zone, and you'll all die. What did he say? Hagidu proclaimed this in Mitzrayim and in Migdol, Nof, and Tachpan Ches. I told you, that was the Jewish neighborhood. That was Lakewood, Muncie, and uh, Williamsburg. Yeah. That's what it says three chapters earlier. Those are the places where the Jews settled in Egypt. And he says, Because you're going to have a tremendous defeat. The Cherub is going to wipe out your whole area. And now he goes and says, this sounds like he was there. And he says that, you know, you're going to have a terrible defeat in battle, and the army, the Egyptian army, will crack, because it's mainly composed of um, mercenaries. And uh, that's why he says, Why are your heroes being busted? Lo, Ahmad, they weren't able to withstand the Babylonians. Because God's behind all this. And therefore, when they suffered this terrific attack from the Babylonians, the mercenaries were all flee. The soldiers in the Egyptian army, who are not Egyptians, will say, we're going back home. No, they're not Egyptian. Because they're afraid of, of, of the sword of, of, what do you call it? Of um, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what's, to me, the most interesting Pasuk over here would be Pasuk Yudzayin. Because it says, Karusham Par Sha'on, Pharaoh is, is announced a disaster after the battle's over. Havir Hamoed. And he's let the... Havir Hamoed. Which the right way to translate that is that he let the opportunity pass. Now, what does that mean? I'm not sure what the I didn't look, but I know in general they all say... that. Let me put it this way. You can read it as follows. That the mercenaries say Pharaoh's a screw-up. He had an opportunity to engage in battle at some earlier point in the campaign. He, he blew it, and therefore, by the time we closed in battle with Nebuchadnezzar, we were on unfavorable ground. To use modern terminology, we had the high ground and then he let it go. You know, something like that. But I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what, because that's all I can ever do. And that is, you, the Egyptians, stabbed the, the kingdom of Judah in the back. You encouraged them years ago to rebel against Babylon, promising them that you would help. But in the end, you didn't help. Maybe you fainted in that direction. Maybe you pretended. You made a day marsh or something like that. But you didn't do it. In the end, you let Nebuchadnezzar expend his energy 
on the siege of Jerusalem and also the siege of Tyre, as I mentioned last week. So from the Egyptian point of view, it's like I let Nebuchadnezzar destroy the others and didn't get to me. But now that Nebuchadnezzar is coming on, even if it's years later, into Egypt, you no longer have any allies because you let them all get screwed. You let them all be picked off one by one by Nebuchadnezzar. So it worked in the short run, but not in the long run. You understand? And therefore, the Egyptian army, unaided, has to take on the army of Nebuchadnezzar plus Nebuchadnezzar's allies, because that's how it used to work in the ancient world. They can't handle that. And so the soldiers say, Havir Moed, you let the opportunity pass. Now we see we should have helped Jerusalem during the siege. Now we see we should have helped Judah. In my opinion, that's what Yermio is saying, because he's a Jew. And he experienced the Khurban. And by the way, the siege of Jerusalem, which was full of starvation, because as I say all the time, if you read, um, what do you call it? Tishabav, the uh, Echa. He doesn't describe destruction, he describes the horrors of starvation, correct? That's what Echa is all about. Babies dying at the mother's uh, breasts, and so on and so forth. You know, Tovim Hoyu Chali Happier were those who die quickly by the sword than who die slowly by thirst and starvation. So, in other words, to him, Egypt is particularly disgusting. And now, even though it took a decade or two, the Babylonians are catching up with Egypt, heavy him away. Now you want your, uh, you know, you want your uh, allies, and you blew it. The time has passed. Okay? And as a result, he describes in great detail, you know, that the Egyptians are going to do scorched earth. Okay? Because he says over here, this would be Chafez, I guess. Right? He describes scorched earth. Uh, that uh, you know uh, it's like a snake the Babylonians are coming with force and they're going to attack with axes and chop down the forest and uh, there'll be more Babylonian soldiers than there are locusts and therefore uh, Egypt will be like a red heifer as we say today a cow easy to uh, destroy or milk or something like that and Paro um, it's going to be a joke, right? So what's interesting, though, is he does say as follows. He said, Egypt itself will not be totally wiped out. The Egyptians will make a, a recovery uh, at the end. It's it's funny. Mentioned last week also. He said, But Egypt will make a comeback. I don't know why he says that. But I'll tell you what I think. You Jews living in Egypt, you thought you were safe. You're the idiots. You're going to get wiped out in the war that of Nebuchadnezzar's invasion of Egypt. None of you will be left. On the other hand, the guy in will. It's their country. It's not your country. <laughs> See? It's their country. It's not your country. They will eventually recover as happens. It'll be bad news. It'll be death and destruction and maiming and all the rest of it. But Tishkan, Kinkan, that's what Yechesko uh, said last week also. But you guys who are telling me that ever since we abandoned idol worship, things are going bad, you'll be wiped out. And so it's like an irony of a bitter sort that the um, guy in which you respond yourself, they won't be, uh, they will, uh, you know, uh, it won't hurt them, but it'll hurt you. Let's put it that way. It's like a Zionist word, you know. Now, wait a minute. And then, because we don't like to end on, um, I mean, let's put it this way. 
you don't want to end the Haftorah predicting the revival of Mitzrayim, right? The death of the Jews. You don't want to end up saying, Then bubble, uh, I mean, then Egypt will make a recovery. Who wants to end the Haftorah like that? If you go in the book of Yermio, next passage, he contrasts, whether you realize it or not, the Jews. See, you got to know the context here. The Jews living in uh, Egypt with the Jews uh, in Babel. Now, I want to call your attention to a fact, and that is, in the beginning, it said, Habgid b'Mitzrayim, proclaim this in Egypt, v'ashmiu, and let it be known, b'migdol, b'nof, u'besach panches. So it was, like I said, it's Lakewood, it's, it's Muncie, it's, it's Williamsburg. But if you look a little bit earlier in Yermio, he also talks about Jews living in Pasros. In other words, not all the Jews will be in this Corbin. The, the Jews in the cities I mentioned will be a Corbin. Other cities, the Jews will not be a Corbin. I can only imagine, look, I don't know, they weren't as bad, maybe they weren't idol worship, they simply were scared, very vase. But there will be some Jews who um, will survive their exile in Egypt. Um, that's why we say, Those Jews who ran away after Gedalia, some of them, not many, will survive. And Yermiel is speaking to them, and he says like this, Don't be scared. After 70 years, we'll bring back uh, you know, um, the Jews to Israel. Veshov Yaakov, okay? Veshaki Veshanam in Machrid, okay? Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you guys will be able to come back. So I think he's not only talking, he is talking about the Jews in, in, in Mitzrayim, although he doesn't mention them. And Avdi Altir Yaakov, Kiesa Cholas, Agoyim, Shedachim, Veselam, Satikl Nakal Akanecha, to an end on a happy note. We do find reference, like I said before, some Jews did come back, and ironically, during the time of the Second Temple, through a series of events, a very large Jewish community formed in Egypt again. Uh, what exactly was the relationship of that community to the Jews in Israel? Very complicated. I'm sure many of you know that those Jews, this after Yermio, ended up building their own base of Migdash, Migdash Chonyo is called. On the other hand, there are references in the Mishnah to pilgrims coming to Yerushalayim as well. And there are even discussions in the Mishnah, now Gemara Megillah is coming up. I'm sure many of you have learned Megillah, one time or another. Can a Kohen who served in, in the Egyptian temple, is he qualified or not to serve in the Jerusalem temple? Which means it was a Hashalah, a Lachlamaisa. And so, our Haftorah kind of foregrounds the, the complicated relationship between uh, Israel, or Yehud, if you wish, and Mitzrayim, and Jews living in Mitzrayim, and getting destroyed in Mitzrayim, but some surviving, all against the context of this Hiroshima-type situation in which Nebuchadnezzar seems to have invaded Egypt, you know, 10, 20 years after the Korban, and killed a lot of people. Uh, on that note, uh, that concludes the two Haftorahs dedicated Korban of Egypt, because Bo'er and, and uh, Bo. And um, we'll see the Haftar next week moves on a different theme. With that, I wish you all a good Shabbos. Once again, Shabbat Shalom, and there you go.
For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.